0: And as you think about your to-do list, whether you keep an actual list or just have one in your head, are there certain priorities each day, each week, that rise to the top above all the others? Are there certain non-negotiables in your life that you protect so that nothing can encroach on them? This morning, we continue to learn from our Master, our Lord, our Savior. And He is for us the very standard of what true, noble, human life should look like. His life was a life of joy, indwelt by the Spirit, communing with His Father, Jesus talked to his disciples about how the joy that was in him could also be in them. Jesus was a man who lived in joy. Jesus was a man of festivity. A man who turned water into wine. A man who came eating and drinking, unafraid to associate with the lower classes as well as the higher classes. To be around him was to be in the midst of glory. There was a joviality to the Lord Jesus Christ. Yet, he was also full of purpose and priority and intentionality. His face turned like flint to the cross to which he was headed. The life of Jesus on this earth was a well ordered life, a life in which there were certain priorities, certain non negotiables. He had come for a purpose. He was not in a hurry. He patiently walked each step laid down for him by his Father, but he was intentional. And how I pray that God would work in us so that we have this same blend of of cheerfulness, of joviality, of joy, of happiness in God. Blended with purpose, dead set commitment to mission and the will of our father for us. Already on this day, he had preached the word of God with power and authority in the synagogue of Capernaum. Already he had cast out that demon who interrupted him in the middle of the synagogue service, his power on display. Already he had come to Peter's house, healed Peter's mother-in-law of her fever, broke bread with all in that house, enjoyed fellowship with them Now we look one last time at the events that ended that day and the events that took place the following morning. Look at Luke chapter 4 beginning in verse 40. Now when the sun was setting, all those who had any who were sick with various diseases brought them to him. And he laid his hands on every one of them and healed them. And demons also came out of many, crying, You are the Son of God. But he rebuked them and would not allow them to speak because they knew that he was the Christ. And when it was day, he departed and went into a desolate place. The people sought him and came to him and would have kept him from leaving them. But he said to them, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns as well. For I was sent for this purpose. And he was preaching in the synagogues of Judea. So we've been unpacking four P's from this passage the person of Christ, the power of Christ, the priorities of Christ, and the purpose of Christ. Under our first heading, the person of Christ, we saw that Jesus is the Son of God and that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah. Both those titles were chock full of heavy glory. These titles teach us of Christ's divinity, His oneness with His Father, His role in the Trinitarian plan of redemption, the importance of Jesus as the long-awaited Deliverer, the second Adam who would overcome and undo all sin and all evil. And then we looked at the power of Christ. Infinite power. A power that should cause us to tremble and yet to rejoice because Christ wields this power for the sake of those who have come to know him and love him. As Christians, no trials in our lives should cause us anxiety because the all-powerful Christ is with us and for us. But now we come to our third heading, the priorities of Christ. And I want to make three observations. First, see the priority of loving others. The priority of loving others. Jesus is at the end of this day. And it has been a busy day. And he is certainly physically weary. He's tired. But the people are lining up at the door. Bringing him their sick. And he heals them. And notice that his healing was universal. Every person who came in need was healed. Everyone who came, none were turned away. There is no discrimination in the love of Jesus. All who come to him, any who come to him, whatever their background, whatever their sins, whatever their needs, he is able and willing to do them good. And Mount Hermon, this is good news for us this morning. All who come to Jesus finds that find that he receives them. Come ye sinners, poor and wretched, Weak and wounded, sick and sore. Jesus ready stands to save you. Full of pity joined with power. He is able. He is able. He is willing. Doubt no more. This is how Jesus received the sick and the demon possessed in Capernaum. And this is how he has received us who are now believers. And this is our model Of true priority. Whatever else may characterize our lives, we must be marked by a love for others. Your riches, your earthly successes, your fame, your earthly comforts, none of this matters if you are unkind, selfish, stingy, Christ has called his people to be known by their love. And we show our love for the God who saved us by caring for those who bear his image. We are to love one another within the church of God, especially within this particular local church. But we're also to love all who come across our path, all who show up at our door without discrimination. When the opportunity comes to do good to someone, we are to do it. When we can receive someone in need, we are to receive them. Our love for other people is not to be some abstract love for people out there in general. It is to be a tangible, practical, real love for the people that God puts across our path each day. Christ's people living in the joy of knowing God... Are to overflow in compassionate, happy, generous love. Well, second, we see here the priority of rest and spiritual refreshment. Jesus gave his time and attention to these people at Peter's door. He healed them all. And now he is truly weary. You see, we are fragile creatures. And Jesus walked this earth as a true man like us. And he too needed physical and emotional and mental and spiritual rest. And so we find Jesus going to a desolate place. An alone place. A place without people. A place to just be there, him and his father. A place to recoup. We're going to see in Luke 5 as the crowds get larger and larger and the burdens of ministry on Jesus increase and increase that Luke's going to tell us he would withdraw to desolate places and pray. This was his habit, his custom, his practice, his priority. Jesus knew he needed to have time for rest both physically and spiritually. Now we're going to talk in Luke 5, especially about the importance of quiet times of prayer with the Father, having times in your life where you are alone with God. So here, I just want us to note that Jesus understood that He owed a debt to His body, that these bodies of ours cannot go long without rest, God created us that way. It's part of what it means to be human. One application for us from this passage and the example of Jesus is that even as we give ourselves in love to others, even as we fulfill the callings God has given us, we must see the importance of rest. And so let me say a few words about sleep. I think this is timely. If many of you were like us and fireworks were going off till hours in the morning, and maybe you haven't had much this morning. A few words about sleep. We spend one-third of our lives asleep. One third. One third of our lives in an unconscious state. What's that about? Why did God make us that way? Let me give you several quick points about the bible and sleep first know that sleep is a gift from god to humble us and to teach us faith in him the fact that our bodies grow weary the fact that our bodies need rest are a helpful reminder to us that he is god and we are not And it is when we are asleep that we are most vulnerable, unable to control what is happening around us, which is why in Psalm 3 this morning, we saw David say that basically I'm going to sleep. I've got enemies all around. All I can do is trust my God, that he'll protect me. Fred Sanders says, at the very least, sleep is a good opportunity to entrust yourself, your entire self, to God's care. You are trusting something when you lay down your body and with it, the control of your conscious mind. That moment when you consciously choose unconsciousness to let yourself go is a daily opportunity to relinquish control to a God who you have to trust. And In Psalm 4, verse 8, we read, In peace I will both lie down and sleep, for you alone, O Lord, me dwell in safety. So sleep is part of what it means to be human, even for our Lord Jesus Christ. Second, consider that the tendency to neglect sleep may be an expression of pride and self-reliance rather than faith in God. I believe this is one of the reasons why God made us as people who need sleep to remind us that we're to fulfill our callings in the strength that He provides. Could it be that maybe we sometimes neglect sleep because we're acting as though we don't need it? As though this is a gift from God for us to ignore? As if the strength He gives us in our sleep is unnecessary? There's something humble and full of faith about laying yourself down on your bed and receiving... God's gift of sleep. Reminds us of Psalm 127, verses 1 through 2. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. Listen to this. It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil for he gives to his beloved sleep. In other words, the person who thinks that it's all on his shoulders, that he has to figure it all out on his own, that he has to carry all the weight, that he has to solve all the problems, that person's going to neglect sleep. And he's going to live in anxiety. And he's going to go around trying to get everything right until his blood pressure skyrockets and he burns out and dies. For the Christian... We're to know that God has only called us to be faithful to do what we can do, trusting that it will be Him and not us who ultimately builds the house. We are to find that we carry out our work in faith, trusting God. And it is in trusting God that we're able to have peaceful sleep. And I love that we are called here His Beloved. He gives His Beloved sleep because... What else can give us sweeter sleep than realizing I am loved by Almighty God? What have I to fear? Third, let's acknowledge that there are times when it is needful and appropriate to sacrifice sleep for God's glory. I think that's what's occurring in our passage here this morning. We see the Lord Jesus Christ probably up most of the night into the wee hours of the morning, healing people, caring people, having conversations with these people. Love compelled him to sacrifice sleep. And later in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus will say to his disciples, sleep and take your rest later on. See the hour is at hand and the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Yes, it's the wee hours of the morning, but Jesus says, this is not a day for sleep. In Luke 6, 12, we'll see that Jesus often sacrificed sleep in order to pray We're told there, in those days, he went out to the mountain to pray. And all night, he continued in prayer to God. All night, he continued in prayer to God. So yes, there are times when it is good. There are times when it is right to sacrifice sleep. But always understanding that we are creatures. And that when we forsake sleep, we will owe a debt to our bodies that needs to be repaid. And thus Jesus goes and finds a desolate place. Fourth, consider that laying yourself down to sleep is good practice for death. Every night as we receive the gift of sleep, we have the opportunity to practice giving ourselves into the hands of God in the way that we will at our last breath the Bible often compares death to sleep. And Christians who die in the Lord are said to be asleep because their bodies will get up again and be glorified and be reunited to their souls on the last day. So each time that you sleep, it is preparation for entrusting your soul to God when you die. Maybe you learned the same prayer that I did when I was a child. Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. If I should die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. It's practice. Fifth, one key to a good night's sleep is faithful hard work during the day. This is why we're later going to see the disciples and Jesus on a boat on Lake Galilee. Terrible storm going on. The disciples are afraid for their lives. And where's Jesus? He's asleep in the boat. Why was Jesus able to sleep through this terrible storm? Yes, because he trusts his Father. Yes, because he's not one bit afraid. But also because he has been so busy. He has been giving himself, wearing himself out and preaching and healing and caring for so many that when he finally gets his disciples in a boat and they get away from the crowds, what happens to Jesus? He goes to sleep. And he's sleeping so, so hard that the storm doesn't even wake him. Ecclesiastes 5 verse 12, Sweet is the sleep of a laborer. Now to balance this out, about the importance of rest and sleep that we see from our Lord Jesus. Sixth, sleeping too much will reap serious consequences for your life. Any good gift of God, not kept in moderation, but indulged in too much, will become harmful. A little more sleep is the cry of the sluggard in Proverbs 6. and We're told that poverty comes upon him like a robber want like an armed man. Proverbs 20, verse 13. Love not sleep, lest you come to poverty. Open your eyes and you will have plenty of bread. David Gunderson gives us this counsel. He says, monitor your body and how much sleep you need. As humans, we're generally the same, but specifically different. Don't try to get the amount of sleep that someone else needs. Pay attention to your physical condition, not as an idol, but as an instrument. So get to know yourself as God has made you and find a pattern of rest that helps you give your whole self to God when you're awake. And then finally, seventh on this, know that meditating on the things of God as you fall asleep can make your sleep even sweeter. Have you ever noticed that thoughts or images that you put into your brain before you sleep can affect your sleep? How many of us saw a scary movie as a child and then went to sleep, only to be affected by nightmares? And how many of us have had wonderful conversations or maybe on vacation, looked out over mountains or over the ocean and then went to sleep and just had the sweetest, most wonderful dreams? What you have in your mind when you go to sleep can make a great difference. Psalm 63, verse 5, My soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food. My mouth will praise with joyful lips when I remember you upon my bed and meditate on you in the watches of the night. The Puritan Henry Scudder gives this advice. He says, if you possibly can, fall asleep with some heavenly meditation. Then will your sleep be more sweet, more secure, your dreams fewer or more comfortable. Your head will be fuller of good thoughts and your heart will be in a better frame when you awake, whether in the night or in the morning. So as important as physical rest is for us, as it was for Christ, Even more important is spiritual refreshment. Why? Because as human beings, we are not the source of our love and strength towards others. God is the source of our love and strength towards others. We are the pipe. We are the conduit through which His love runs. We are like a water hose with one end connected to our God through faith in Jesus. The other end commissioned to pour out love and mercy and truth to a world that badly needs it. But if the the hose gets disconnected from the spigot, it can no longer fulfill its purpose. As God, Jesus is a never-ending well of love and goodness. But Jesus walked this earth as man, not drawing upon his divine resources. And therefore, he, like us, had to look to his father to give him all that he needed for each day of ministry. Here is why Jesus is constantly going off to be with his Father. Like us, he needed to commune with his father, to remember afresh his father's love for him, to consider afresh his father's will for him, to receive the spirit's soul, nourishment that comes through prayer and fellowship with God. And so we're going to talk way more about that in Luke 5, but for now, how is your spiritual life? How is your relationship, your practical, personal, daily relationship with God? How are your times of prayer? Do you know what it is to go off alone and be with God? Do you know what it is to come into his great throne room, yet welcomed as a child by his father? To bring all your joys, all your sorrows, all your thanksgivings, all your petitions to God. If you are feeling spiritually dry, if you're getting less out of the sermons than you wish, if you are feeling less zeal for winning the loss than you desire, If you find yourself giving way to temptations when you should be defeating them nine times out of ten, here is the place to start. Have you disconnected yourself from the spigot? Not that you can ever lose your federal union with God through faith in Jesus Christ if you're a Christian. That is in the courts of heaven and that can never be taken away. But just as a couple can be married and still not be talking to each other. There can be seasons in our lives when we turn ourselves away from the God who saved us. When we withdraw from him. When we find ourselves speaking to him less and less. And when we do that, should we be surprised that our spiritual lives suddenly feel like a desert? See the example of Christ. See the priority that He placed on spiritual refreshment. Let us repent of prayerlessness. Make communion with God a priority. So, we've seen the priority of loving others, we've seen the priority of physical and spiritual refreshment. But even these priorities fell under a greater priority. An overarching priority for our Lord Jesus. We see it in verse 43. Verse 43. When the people of Capernaum want Jesus to stay with them. They want him to minister to them. And Jesus says, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns as well. For I was sent for this purpose. The overarching priority of Jesus Christ was the same as it should be for us. His priority was to do His Father's will. Jesus was on earth for a purpose. He had been sent. And He was to accomplish the mission His Father had given Him. So also, Mount Hermon, let us learn from the Bible those overarching purposes that God has given to us. There's a reason why God didn't save you and then take you to heaven. He left you here for a reason. There are commissions that have been given to us as the church of Christ. A will to fulfill. And then let us see our own specific callings. Our own specific avenues that God has given to each one of us. Through which we are to fulfill those big commissions and callings our priority must be to do the will of our Father in heaven. Which brings us to the end of this study. And our final P, the purpose of Christ. What is the reason for which Christ was sent? What is the great mission that He was to accomplish? Well, we certainly know from other passages That his ultimate purpose in coming was to give his life as a ransom for many. That in the cross, with the subsequent resurrection, the wise plan of God to glorify his grace and mercy would be brought about. Jesus came to die. But that was not the total sum of the Father's will for Jesus while he was on earth. There is a reason why Jesus didn't come to earth in his mid-30s and go straight to the cross and die. No, Jesus had an entire mission to complete of which the cross was the culminating climax. So what was his mission for these years of ministry? What was the mission of Christ leading up to the cross? And he tells us here, he had been sent To preach. Not first to heal. Not first to cast out demons. Not first to confront the Pharisees and the Sadducees or even the Romans. He had been sent to preach. To proclaim. To declare. To announce the good news of the kingdom of God. That a savior had been sent for sinners and that all who humbled themselves before God, turning away from their sins, would find mercy and grace. Jesus came preaching that the kingdom of God was at hand. A kingdom in which a people of every tongue, tribe and nation would live together in a sin free world for all eternity, experiencing the glory of God. And those who find the forgiveness of the Lamb of God can be part of that kingdom. Jesus came as an evangelist. He came as one who went from town to town to town to town, proclaiming the gospel, calling all who would repent and believe to be saved. He preached the gospel first, and he taught and prepared his disciples to do the same. And now here we are, and we're 2000 years later, and guess what? Jesus is still preaching. By his spirit, through his word, through under shepherds, through his people, to a world that is lost. Jesus was to preach the gospel and then go to the cross. And to whom particularly was Jesus to preach? This is important. To all Israel. For all practical purposes, we will see the little town of Capernaum become something of a home base for Jesus. Capernaum's going to become headquarters for the ministry of Jesus. It is a wonderful thing that the people in that town received Jesus so wonderfully. They welcomed Him. It was utterly different than what He got from His hometown folks in Nazareth. But Jesus is not to stay in Capernaum. He has been given a mission to preach the gospel to the entire nation of Israel. Why? Because from all Israel, Jesus was gathering a faithful remnant of followers who would be the beginnings of the church. And in 70 AD, when God brings judgment on Israel for rejecting the Messiah when god destroys that nation and brings the old covenant to an end there will be not one part of israel that can say but we didn't know jesus never came here he came and he called us to repent in the north but we were in the south or he was always preaching in the south but we are no jesus went all over israel as the prophet calling his kinsmen to repent it was an expression of the loving kindness of God. One last opportunity for hard hearted Israel. This just shows how far the grace of God was going to give these people every opportunity to turn. Jesus will later tell a parable about the master of a vineyard who keeps sending his servants into the vineyard. Prophets like Isaiah and Malachi and John the Baptist. And when they were rejected, the master sent his very son. Here was the last opportunity for Israel to return, to repent, to come back to her God. And this reveals the justice of God and the judgment that Israel experienced in 70, AD. It is an amazing thing that, that remnant who came to be followers of Jesus, who believed his words, who heard his warnings about the judgment that was coming, they got out of town when the Romans came. They knew what was coming. Their lives were preserved. While the bulk of Israel was condemned and destroyed. And so it is even with us now. So it is with you. The good news of salvation through Jesus Christ is being proclaimed to you. If you take Jesus at his word, that word will save your soul. But if you reject Jesus, if you neglect Jesus, if you you ignore Jesus, you will find his words testifying against you on the last day, and you will have no excuse before God. Dear friends, Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus is the Christ. He is all-powerful, and He uses His power for righteousness' sake. He has perfect priorities. The priorities of loving others. The priorities of communing with His Father. The priority of doing His Father's will. And even today, Jesus is fulfilling the purpose of preaching the gospel to all nations. The gospel of how he came and gave his life a ransom for many. What are you doing with this gospel? What are you doing with the Lord Jesus Christ? I pray that you're trusting him. I pray that you know him intimately. I pray that he is yours.